Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. On this episode, we feature another live replay from a session from this year's 2022 Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit that occurred last month. This is the session on low Earth orbit powered in-flight connectivity for commercial airlines and business jet operators. This happened during an hour-long session at the 2022 Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit. Some of the questions that are answered during this panel, which is moderated by Mark Holmes, who is the editorial director for VIA Satellite, one of the two publications behind the Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit. But a few of the questions that are answered include, will LEO satellite networks be capable of providing connectivity to every airborne aircraft in U.S. airspace simultaneously at any given time in the future. Some of the other questions include what type of connection speeds or improvements in latency can LEO provide for connected in-flight passenger sessions? And will LEO satellites be able to provide connectivity to airlines that fly polar routes? There is also a lot of discussion about the business models that some of the LEO network providers are discussing with airlines. The session features the following executives answering some of these questions and more. This includes Jonathan Hoffeller. He's the vice president of Starlink commercial sales for SpaceX. Philippe Sherlet, he's the vice president of aviation for Telesat. And Jason Sperry, who is the market development director for business aviation at OneWeb. In this session, you really get you know a, a deep understanding of what these three different Leo network service providers are developing, and you know how they are approaching the aviation industry, especially commercial airlines, in terms of providing in-flight connectivity service. So let's get into this live panel replay from the Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit featuring SpaceX, Telesat, and OneWeb. We're going to get cracking straight away. I'm just going to introduce them very quickly, and we're going to get into questions. I'm going to open it up early. So you've been talking about Leo, all of you, for the last two days. So I'm expecting some good questions for these guys, okay? So we have, uh, we have Jonathan Hoffler, who I know well, who's spoken at some digital events of ours, vice president of Starlink Commercial Sales at SpaceX. We have Philip Schleray, vice president of aviation at Tadisat. And Jason Sperry, Market Development Director, Business Aviation, OneWeb. Welcome, everybody. So I'm going to get straight into it. One of the things this morning was saying, when are they going to announce their next deals? So, Jonathan, you've announced JetSuite X and Hawaiian. Congratulations. Obviously, uh, um, you were talking about this last year, that you were going to make an impact in aviation, and now you are. Um, what's the deal flow going to be like? When is the next big aviation customer coming for SpaceX? <laughs> Not going to spoil all the, all the fun. Uh, so so th thank you for, for having us on this panel. Yes, this past year has been um, a, a great step for, for SpaceX and Starlink specifically in the aviation market. Um, uh, Mark had mentioned the deals that we had done with JSX and, and Hawaiian Airlines, um, uh, several more in, in works. Um, we're taking uh, a very uh, strong approach. Uh, we are 
currently getting on planes. Um, we're operational. Um, we, we're working through some STCs, which we're all doing in-house. I think the beauty of our system is that we are completely vertically integrated. We're building the, the terminals on the plane. We're building the satellites. We're building the rockets. Um, everything, uh, soup to nuts. Um, and so, you know, as we learn more about the industry, um, we're trying to find ways to, to best satisfy our customers. But a lot more exciting stuff to come. What about in terms of an international customer? I mean, I know JetSuite X Business Hawaiian, a big North America signature customer. When might we have that big international airline signature customer? Yeah, you bring up a, you bring up a good point. So our, our constellation right now um, services um, domestic areas. So we're in 32 countries. We're currently servicing 400,000 consumers in enterprises, uh, but but not uh, airlines. Um, the deal we signed with Hawaiian Airlines actually opens up the transoceanic routes. So we have our inter-satellite links, which uh, enables that capability. Um, and that system is being deployed as we speak. Um, and so we'll be able to be servicing folks uh, transcontinental um, early next year. Okay. Let me bring Jason into the conversation. I know OneWeb well and done some really good interviews with Neil lately, and I know that you've, you're doing some trials with airlines now. You've been working with some airlines. Um, when can we expect the uh, Hawaiian Airlines announcement yeah. from, from OneWeb? So I, I think certainly in, in the next few you know, months even, we'll, we'll announce kind of our distribution strategy with respect to our partners uh, that we're going to have in that, in that space. And uh, I think you know, preemptively to our aviation services coming online in 2023, you should see some, some announcements coming for, for airlines at that time uh, before then. So um, stay tuned. Do you expect it before the end of the year that we'll have that announcement? Um, I, I think that it could be close. It could be close. So um, you should stay tuned. We will definitely be staying tuned. Let's bring Philippe into the uh, conversation. Um, again, Telesat has, I know you've scaled back the numbers of satellites in your constellation, but it's still, very, still a very ambitious plans that you have. Tell us about the deal flow in aviation for Telesat and when we might see some, some interesting deals that, you, that Telesat will announce. Sure. Uh, so... Uh, you know, our constellation was designed from the, the beginning for enterprise class services, uh, including aviation. So, um, you know, we're a little bit further away in terms of uh, startup service. Uh, right now, we expected 2026. Uh, but we are expecting to have all the in-flight connectivity services available right from the beginning. Um, now, for us, um, you know, we are, we are looking at different type of antennas, including uh, antennas that are existing today in the market, like the Thinkcom 2517 or Anu's Air Connect antenna, which means that, um, you know, and we have a wholesale strategy uh, working through service providers. So uh, that means that if a service provider or where a service provider, uh, like Anuvu, for instance, can offer a K bridge in Geo, uh, an airline can already look at. You know, deploying the, um, those antennas on Geo, KGO today uh, with a path through transition to the Lightspeed constellation when the, at the start of service. Uh, so this is something that, uh, you know, airlines can already consider for implementation in the short term that gives them the, a path to uh, Telesat Lightspeed. Before I, ask another, before I ask another question for all of you, um, 
for Telesat, because obviously you're a little bit different. You're a more established operator. You've been around for, for many, many years. You've been on our big four panel at Satellite or Big Five, Big Six, whoever stuff. How important is, is aviation in the big scheme of things in terms of your, like, revenue mix going forward? I mean, I think it's just interesting for us to... How important you, you, how important you see it. Can you, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so from the beginning, you know, we decided that... Uh, we were going to focus on enterprise class services, not, um, you know, not the residential direct-to-consumer. Um, so when you look at the, the enterprise services, really the, the two largest markets are the, um, uh, you know, the backhaul, backhaul for cellular network for remote communities, and the aviation is, uh, is next. Um, you, know, you have other markets with maritime and government. Uh, but certainly aviation is right at the top, uh, which means that right from the, you know, the, the ground up of the design, aviation has influenced the, um, the architecture of the constellation. Okay. I have a quick question for the audience. I'm going to put your hands up. How many of you attended our Digital Connected Aviation Intelligence event last year and, and listened to a very similar panel? Any of you? I know you. <laughs> One. I've got about three. Hoping for slightly more, but never mind. <laughs> if you had, if you had, there were some very bullish predictions um, on behalf of um, some people on this panel um, that about how much market share Leo operators could take in terms of aviation. A year on, do you still believe by 2030 we will see the majority of aviation traffic on Leo satellites? And I'll just go across everybody this time. So, so I think that by 2030, you'll see a considerable amount of aviation traffic on, on LEO networks. I think that OneWeb's approach is, is obviously to bring, uh, unlock the capability um, that we saw in the last 24 hours at these sessions, really to unlock the capability of entertainment and productivity in a way that you do at home on the, on the aircraft, right? And I think that by 2030, you'll see a significant amount of connectivity be LEO. Um, and and OneWeb is hugely supportive also as a, as a hybrid architecture, right? where you have Leo and Geo together um, that offers a resilient, reliable approach um, to give passengers connectivity wherever they may fly. Um, and so I, I think a considerable amount uh, will be you know, moving towards uh, Leo in the next eight to 10 years. Considerable amount. Jonathan, what's your, a year on, what's your? Uh... Well, if I recall from last year, um... You were the one that actually set the really high bar over here, and I just acknowledged that it could be that, that high. Um, the, the way I've looked at it is, is the sheer amount of capacity that we put up in the very short period of time um, is, is already in order of magnitude more than all of the geos combined, and, and we're just getting warmed up. There's a lot more capacity to, to come um, from us and from the rest of the LEO uh, community. Um, at a speed that it's not clear that 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 uh, the geos can can keep up with, um, and certainly the demand is shifting. Um, and, and, and I talked with someone earlier, in, insatiable as far as um, the amount of capacity that that folks need. So uh, I think speed is is key here. I've asked the question m multiple times: is like the high speed, low latency can be achieved by. Um, by our LEO constellations. Um, high latency and high speed can be achieved by um, our GEO uh, folks. Uh, given the choice between the two, assuming you have to choose, you may not have to choose if you have a hybrid model, 
but why would you go with one? If, if Leo can do everything that, that Geo can do, but Geo can do everything that, can't do everything that Leo can do, why would you choose Geo over Leo? Um, open to it. Like I'm generally interested that, this, that there's obviously people investing in, in the future of Geo satellites. Um, where is that key benefit specifically for aviation? They've been very, very interesting. Let me go to Philippe. I'll probably come back. Yeah, I mean, we see a lot of excitement uh, with the uh, airline community about the perspective of having the IFC services over, uh, over Leo networks. Uh, you know, it's really to bring a superior quality of experience uh, at an affordable price, being able to, you know, enable free services with higher throughputs and, uh, and a lot of features. So uh, we remain pretty bullish about, uh, you know, the perspective of having I think the vast majority of, uh, of the IFC traffic over Leo ultimately. Um, and um, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, with, um, with uh, IFC providers who uh, would be able to provide a, a K geo bridge uh, to light speed that will also speed up the adoption. Um, now, you know, the, the exact number and what year, uh, you know, that remains to, uh, to be seen, but we're bullish about, uh, and I think airlines uh, are really looking forward to, uh, uh, to get on with Leo. I think everyone is bullish. The geo operators are bullish. You guys are bullish. I mean, everyone. Well, Telesat's both, right? Yeah. So where, where, where's Telesat investing? I think they're investing more so in, in the Leo than the geo, but I'm not sure if that's true. But they're more the exception, aren't they? Most of the, I mean, I know SES has a Mio, but a, a lot of the big geo haven't invested in Leo. So you, Telesat has probably been the exception to the rule, I guess. Um, I mean, you're building your constellations. I mean, it's an exciting time for our industry, a huge amount of ambitious ambition being, being shown. Um, a lot, I mean, this event's been going almost 10 years. There's a lot of deals already been done with airlines and geo operators and service providers, a lot of established um, relationships between some of those players. Do you think it's really going impact, to impact your ability to generate new business in aviation, considering, you know, these, uh, a lot of these other companies maybe have a bit of a head start over you and have, have already got these relationships with airlines? Uh, I think from my perspective, I think when, when we discuss with airlines and for potential customers, I think they look at, you know, five things that I call the five C's, right? Cost, coverage, capacity, the connection, and, and the consistency, right? And all of those together, Leo, um, when you look at a lens, they really unlock the capability that, that's something that hasn't been applicable before. And I, I think with those things in, in view, you really are going to see an adoption by the airlines um, because the last the things that I've heard over the past day, two days have really been that the passenger experience matters, right? And, and they really want to provide a passenger experience that will continue to allow that customer to come back to that airline and not go to somewhere else. And their younger generation is pushing the demand uh, and the expectation to have that on board the aircraft. And, and I really think the adoption will continue by the airlines um, to have that feature set aboard. Jonathan? Yeah, I'll, I'll echo um, what was just said. I mean, the, in every other industry, um, there's a, a advancement development. Um, you could argue the iPhone was late to the cell phone market, but majority of people here probably have an iPhone. Um, and, and so as technology and demands 
change, the technology changes. And, and, and so I know the aviation industry is, is, is focused on kind of long-term cycles and, and, and it doesn't necessarily align with the adoption of, of new technologies, but we're hoping, all of us up here are hoping to disrupt that um, and, and provide an opportunity that airlines and, and operators can provide whatever the best service is for them in that given time um, and, and not be stuck into a, a legacy contract that's you know seven years old and, and you end up stuck with your iPhone 3 for 10 years. So hopefully it, it opens things up quite a bit. Philippe? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the, the same question could have been asked a few years back about you know, GOK coming after GOKU was established. Um, and you know, that wasn't too late for a GOK to come. Um, so, you know, in the end, the airlines are going to be looking at what is the best solution for their passengers going forward, right? So if you have a solution that comes providing uh, a superior quality of experience, uh, providing higher throughputs that can really enable the, um, uh, you know, the free uh, to the passenger model, um, you know, global routes uh, with, with massive amounts of capacity that are you know, much higher than the whole geo, as uh, Jonathan was pointing out, the, the whole geo arc combined. Uh, and all that at uh, an affordable price. Um, you know, the, uh, the Leos will, uh, will shine and, um, and airlines will want to, uh, to get on. Very interesting. What's the biggest barrier, do you think, for each of your companies to be to be successful. I mean, you know, some very bullish predictions, understandable, and I understand why you're, you know, making those predictions. But when you look at the market, and even some of the things that we've heard over the last couple of days, um, what, what, what is sort of the biggest barrier, do you think, for you to be successful? Um, I'll, I'll go across the other way this time. So I'll go Philippe, Jonathan, then Jason. You know, I think uh, some airlines feel locked with, uh, with legacy contracts um, that are long-term contracts and um, that are uh, on closed networks. And um, you know, this is why we took uh, uh, an approach to be as open architecture as we can. Uh, and then certifying you know, antennas from existing antennas to you know, future, uh, uh, future ESA. Uh, so that's a little bit you know, what my um, uh, make some airlines a little bit slower to, uh, to make the jump. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think at the, at the end of the day, um, airlines will, um, you know, will, will go to the best solution. Jonathan? Uh, yeah, I guess I'd do two points to this. The first one is the mindset um, that, that airlines have to go through a technology overhaul every 7, 10, 20 years, or 10 or 12 years. Um, that's, and there's, re, there's good reasons for that, but that's completely misaligned with how technology develops. So finding an, an architecture where they can procure, install, deinstall, um, and be able to provide the best technology to their passengers. If, if you're ultimately looking at what the best is thing for, for the best thing is for the for the, the passenger experience, you have to have the flexibility in order to get the best product for them on that plane um, at any given point. And, and that's the flexibility that we're hoping to install. 
Um, and, and the second bit is, is, the, um, is the regulatory aspect, just uh, regulatory and certification. That's something we've also taken on in-house um, in true SpaceX fashion, um, but something that we're, we're driving to have quicker, um, um, quicker approvals and, and quicker uh, regulatory, um, I guess, approvals. Yeah, I think from, from our perspective, you know, I think education is important. I think, you know, each airline has a different kind of mindset and framework and what they believe they, you know, what they understand about the networks. And I think education certainly, you know, helps uh, with that. And I think, you know, to Jonathan's point, certainly the regulatory certification qualification process takes time, right? And, and getting those things onto an aircraft um, is a cycle that, you know, has to be dealt with and, and managed and, and accelerated as much as possible without, um, you know, detrimenting any safety or reliability aspects yeah I'll add one more one more bit like I, um, as, as a new entrant to this market like this uh, people have been burned for the last several decades on promises of new technology and investment and this is what we hear over and over again which makes them reticent to, to, to invest in this um, that is something that is in a hurdle that we have to overcome is this trail of, of uh, broken promises across the board for a new technology, and, and hopefully the, the new folks up here can make good on their word. Because airlines still seem to me pretty positive about geo solutions. I mean, you know, just even in these two days, and even in conversations I, I've had with them, um, yes, they're interested in, in looking at Leo. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But a lot of them are still very, you know, very positive about the future of, of geo. Is that, uh, is that gonna be difficult to, to overcome or, or, or get business because, you know, they're, they're not sort of saying, oh, we need something else. They're actually saying, well, we have, you know, we're happy with our geo providers. We're happy with, with the relationships we have. So the onus is going to be on your companies to, to convince them that your solution is better. I mean, how do, you, how do you view that? I mean, we haven't really had a, we've had a, Probably, we've had a very positive sentiment towards Geo even over the last couple of days here. Yeah, I think from my perspective, you know, I, I saw the NSR report this morning. You know, there's two columns, one with NGSO capabilities and one with GSO capabilities, right? And so I, I think from, a, from our perspective, we really want to unlock the capability in that NGSO, right? And whether that means, you know, we can unlock everything for an airline or we can do a hybrid approach where we have a GEO and a LEO together to really give them the full value redundancy and resiliency um, of both networks and, and really unlock that capability. But what I heard is also the, the generation now and, and the generation upcoming really demands this on the aircraft, right? And I think that absolutely um, that uh, the airlines are interested. You know, what, what we hear is really it's not a question of if they're going to do it, it's when, right? And, and you know, making sure that you're there at the right time uh, with the right solution in order to, to serve the passengers and ultimately make sure that their connectivity needs are fulfilled is, is really the goal. Do you think ultimately OneWeb will use a more hybrid approach when it comes to aviation? I think there'll be a mixture of both. I think there'll be times that we'll use a hybrid approach, and I think there'll be times that we'll offer a LEO-only solution, and it's really going to depend on the needs of the airline. Right? We talked this morning, and, and I heard yesterday that you know, different airlines have different needs, and really hearing that you know, revalidates our, our whole path to market, which is you know, we really hear what you're saying, and we want to offer an approach that, uh, that enables you to deliver to your customer. Okay. Um, airlines have frequently talked about their confusion when 
understanding different satellite technologies. It's been a common theme over the last 10 years. Everyone's got the biggest, best satellite with most capability uh, and things like that. And I've had airlines come up to me at network and receptions and ask to explain the differences between um, the satellite operators. Um, as a, is our industry as a whole doing a good enough job working with airlines if a lot of them still have this confusion regarding the capability of satellite technologies? To me. No, but no. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, let's, yeah. go, let's go Jonathan yeah, and Jason uh, yeah, and Philippe. Uh, um, certainly, we spent time um, discussing latency w w with folks as that's one of the key differentiators for, for the LEO ver versus GEO. Um, and, and the impacts for that. Um, as far as education, I guess I, you, you, my compatriots here probably have a better uh, better answer as far as the history of the education that we've been I mean, provided. Just on that latency point, I mean, that, that's obviously come up a lot of times. And again, a number of companies will argue that Latency is not so important for the majority of applications that, that, that passengers... The only, people ask, the only people saying that are the geos. <laughs> right, so we're in, we're in a world like we're, we're transitioning from a download heavy to, to maybe more of a, of a symmetric type environment, right? And, and, and as we look into the future, um, certainly download's a major component of that um, where, where you're less latency sensitive. But if, if you look to the future and you believe that two-way communication um, and, uh, is important, then that latency it becomes extremely important, whether um, it's co-editing documents, um, you know, doing the, the, the real-time uh, FaceTime calls. Um, uh, there's a lot of applications that you don't even see in the background where latency is super important to, to being productive on an aircraft. Sorry, I cut you off. I get excited. No, 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 it's good. No, it, it, it's the last panel session of the day. We want energy, yeah. we want a good discussion. Um, Philippe, Jason, any? Yeah, any? so, I mean, I think one takeaway for me of, you know, sitting in those sessions for the last, uh, last couple of days is um, I think there is, we need to do a, a better job at educating the, the market. There is a lot more uh, we, we can do. Um, and, you know, for us, uh, selling through service providers, our role as Telesat is to educate the airline uh, and for them, for the airlines to understand the benefits, what they will get from it, uh, and you know, making sure that the airlines, at the same time, you know, can understand it in a simple way, uh, you know, can focus on what their real needs are, uh, but at the same time, you know, also understand how it's being delivered. Uh, so that you know, they, they understand that there is a, a real commitment behind that it's not, oh, eventually we'll, uh, we'll get there. Um, so the, um, that's in terms of, um, of education. In terms of uh, you know, the, the, the latency, what I think is interesting, and I think you know, maybe the satellite industry uh, because until now we had only geo has been used to you know convince everybody around that latency doesn't matter. Uh, when you talk to airline, I don't see too many airlines arguing that latency matters. Um, and you know you were talking I think yesterday in a panel about your experience on recent flights. Well, you know if it's the same thing if you go from one airline or another, well it is what it is. Now, translate that, if you get that experience uh, that you had in you know, your recent flights, if you get it in a hotel room, 
well, next time you, go, you come back to that area, are you going to get to that hotel? Are you going to get to the hotel that you know, gives you the, the good experience like you have at home? Anything, Todd? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with both of them. I mean, I think education is certainly something that we have to do more of um, through, through sessions like these, through lots of panels, and, and through you know, direct communications and through our partners. Okay, I'm going to open it up in a couple of minutes for, for questions. I'm going to open it up early, so I hope to get some of you involved. Before we do that, before I know Alan, you may, may have a question, but uh, before we do that, we, with OneWeb, we know we know space, and I'm going to put this question to Talis out as well. We know that SpaceX is doing direct deals with Hawaiian JetSuite X. Is OneWeb going to go? Is that going to be the business model for OneWeb in aviation, or is it going to be through a service provider? Uh, which is which is the business model that you ultimately you'll use here? Yeah, so in, in commercial aviation, OneWeb will use uh, service providers, distribution partners, and in the next few weeks uh, or month, you should see some uh, announcements surrounding that. Talisa, I would presume the same? Yes, that's correct. Or sell model. Okay. Let's, let's, let's open it up. Questions come in from the um, from the app. Uh, one asks, "Do any of you see any issues being able to capture service on the pending supersonic aircraft currently in development?" Don't really know, but I, I can say that the satellites are flying at nineteen thousand miles per hour. So relative velocity, probably not a problem. <laughs> and we have another question. Uh, there's been uh, a rumor that Apple will release an iPhone with some basic SATCOM capabilities. Do you think that SATCOM communications with LEO constellations might become something everyone can have on their phone in the next 10 years, uh, and there will be no need for aircraft installed SATCOMs? Is a thought that someone, a phone... It was going to connect on the aircraft? AST wouldn't, you wouldn't be in the aircraft connecting to a satellite through AST, I don't believe. Okay. Yeah. Interesting question. We've had some interest, uh, interesting questions. I know uh, we've got another question over here as well. Okay, I could ask, I could spend a half an hour here on doing this. <laughs> but I'm going to ask this one high-level question. Both, not Telesat, which has the 10-year life on their satellites, but you guys, both of you were built with a five-year life and built to serve consumer markets. You were built on the precept that you're going to need, that, that your business plan is going to need millions of subscribers in order to pay for this thing, pay for these constellations. Even Mark Dankberg has, couldn't support just going after aviation without his base of uh, land, uh, internet-to-home subscribers. So now, I'm, let's go and say that you can get the, uh, some position in the aviation markets. And you're getting niches otherwhere. I've just finished researching maritime, cruise, commercial, and energy. And there's nothing more in demand for Leos but some boutique applications, Arctic cruises, uh, an arrow, of course, over the pole in this. Even if you get a reasonable amount of use in those, how in the heck can you build enough, enough revenues in the next two or three years to justify 
recon the billions you're going to need to reconstitute those constellations. How are you going to survive? And of course, OneWeb's already been through five CEOs, three business plans, and it was now predicated on the investment of some very smart British politicians. So how do you survive here? That's the overriding question. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go first. <laughs> Thank you for the question, by the way. Um, so, I, I, obviously, OneWeb has, has had some challenges in the past, right? And, and we all acknowledge that. I think what we're looking at today is a diversification in many different markets, and with the advent of this technology, ESA, that's able to translate into many different markets, the mobility being one of them, business aviation, land mobility, commercial aviation, maritime, government and military. You just have little pieces where you can pick up here and there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that I think that maybe there's a huge amount of growth in those segments, right? And we saw the report from NSR this morning that that shows the you know the CAGR growth was uh, in excess of 25%, I believe. So I think that there is a a certain amount of revenue that's available through all these markets, and and you know the business cases are, are certainly there with the investments that that we've seen um, to continue serving that demand. And I believe that there are revenues to justify the investments that are being made um, in this constellation. I think in two years, when you have to start uh, rolling out an entire, replacing all those constellations, that you're going to be able to show a revenue that this is promising enough to invest more money in putting this up. I think that the revenue does justify the investment. Jonathan? Was this question directed at me? Because you mentioned aside from consumer. No, just if you had any other comments in your situation. I, I, would, I would say um, one of the key advantages that we have is controlling the, 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 um, uh, the entirety of, of our future with respect to the, the supply chain. Um, the launch, the satellites, we're building eight satellites a day in, in, in Seattle. Um, the terminals that we're building in, in our factory in, in Los Angeles. Um, being able to reduce the cost. So to be profitable, you've got to reduce your cost, you've got to increase your revenue. So having control over both. Okay, but how about the cost of a business infrastructure that you need to support all of this? How about those costs? We talk about satellites and replacing those. You can't just okay. send stuff out. Okay, after, after this one, we'll, we'll go to the next question. So anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Ready for the next? Yeah, let's go to the next one. Uh, yeah. My question is for Jonathan, um, specifically around the vertical, the totally integrated supply chain. So how is that being received from the aviation market, considering that that is a choice to say, we're investing in this asset and in this technology, and we're going to be locked into that one, and we're not going to be able to diversify our communications if we go with this? It's not clear to me if, if their current options allow for diversification, but what I can say is that once we've shown them the technology and what mm -hmm. can be done with a very, we work very hard to simplify. We spend a lot, a lot of time and energy and engineering effort to make it simple. Um, the product that we have um, is simple, it's lightweight, um, uh, easy to install, easy to deinstall with the, with the mentality of put it on your plane. If you don't like it, you can swap it out. And now that's ruffles a lot of feathers. People are like, oh, I can't just uninstall it. Um, why not? Like, we live and die by 
by the, um, the only thing that dictates what's possible is physics. And so, and so when you look at what does it take to, to take something off a plane, um, you know, traditional uh, install, deinstall is extremely cumbersome. How, how do we do it smarter? Um, how do we enable um, to not be locked into this? So you can be locked in with a flexible antenna design, or so you can have optionality with flexible antenna design, or you can have optionality with uh, ease of choice. So we, we tend to lean towards ease of choice. If there's another product out there, you should be able to switch very easily. And from the perspective of supporting like any regulatory or supply chain hiccups that come along with that customer, I mean, I guess that would just be a challenge. Sorry, I didn't follow the question. Oh, disregard. I was just curious how that was being received because it's just been my uh, experience so far that that's been not been so well received. So I'm really curious, because you guys are an incredibly sophisticated organization, just curious to hear it, because, yeah, I want to see you do well at it, yeah. so. Uh, generally refreshing. Like, uh, people have appreciated the, the simple approach, the fact that we control the whole ecosystem. Any failures generally happen at interfaces, so between different components, and so by being able to control the whole network. If something goes wrong, um, there's no one to point fingers at it, it it's us. So there's a simplicity in that. So, okay, one more question on that. Earlier when you guys were talking about the in-cabin connectivity, like the four biggest challenges, they were around, you know, making the customer experience better, interoperability, and being transparent then. So with such a closed ecosystem, how are you approaching that? I'm sorry, I have to so say that with, again. With... With the fact that you guys are owning the entire entire piece and you're you're not you have a completely closed ecosystem of building your service and your connectivity, but some of the challenges that are being stated are around being able to have interoperability and more transparency. How are you showing up and supporting those issues? Or are you or have you guys even thought about them yet? Seeing as how I guess it's still a new I'm not, and I apologize if I'm not fully understanding the question, but as far as, far as like interoperability with other systems on the aircraft, you're talking about like in-flight entertainment versus in-flight connectivity? Yeah, like in the, in the customer experiences, and then also the other thing they were calling out was like the transparency about being able to understand what your quality of service, your quality of experience mm -hmm. is. Are those things you guys have gotten to thinking about yet? Mm -hmm. So as far as like what level of service we're providing mm -hmm. to the individual passengers, yeah, and I think you bring up a good point is like, Historically, in-flight connectivity has had to, to um, kind of uh, fight for kilobits per second and, and then megabits per second. What we are, the, the future that we are promoting um, is that there's such an abundance of capacity that a lot of the concerns that, that we worry about today go away. If, if it, it, you know, it, um, the concept of SLAs, and we've talked about this in, in a couple other, other venues, um, you know, you had to protect your 300 kilobits per second so you could get a phone call out or something like that. We're moving to a world that's like, you would never even remotely think you couldn't get 300 kilobits per second out there, which is what the SLA was protecting against. So um, we, do, we, we do very much, uh, we're obsessive about the passenger experience um, from the moment they walk on the plane, even slightly before. Um, and I think that actually resonates with a lot of airlines that actually appreciate that we are as diehard about it. Sometimes we don't align. <laughs> um, but um, 
I mean, we're going to be on planes here very shortly, so hopefully people get on and, and are, are wowed by the experience and we continue. Well, yeah, I'm curious to see because it's kind of two different business models and you've seen this like happen in cell phones um, go good and go bad. So I'm just really curious to kind of see it's a new emerging space. And of course, we all wanted to see it well. So, yeah. Anyhow. I'll also add, like, we're, we're new at this. Like, we're going to adapt. Like, if, there, if there's a better model, we're, we're open to it. We're not, we're not stuck in, in, in a particular way. So sounds like you have some, some ideas, and I'm happy to chat with you <laughs> more about it later. Yeah, and there are maybe uh, a couple aspects we'd like to, to comment. One is you know, the, on the standardization. I think uh, aircraft manufacturers and airline are pushing for standardization. And obviously, you know, for a true standardization, it has to be an industry-wide movement. And obviously, uh, it's not the case. Um, but at our level, um, you know, we're taking steps towards um, at least you know, interoperability. Uh, and that's why we decided on uh, being as open architecture as we can. So take the example of the, the 2517 antenna that will support uh, on telesatellite speed for uh, an aero terminal. This is an antenna, a KA antenna, uh, that has been deployed already on you know, hundreds of, uh, of aircraft that will continue to be deployed before our start of service. Um, and then you, know, you can reuse the same radar, the same antenna, uh, you know, possibly if it's done well with the, um, uh, with the connectivity provider, um, the same modman. So you're talking now about, about you know, much less costly, um, you know, easier, faster migration to, uh, to the LEO constellation. Um, and, you know, obviously we don't think it's going to be needed, but, you know, the, the same path could be true, uh, you know, going to, to someone else uh, afterwards. Uh, so we think that's you know one step that is important for uh, for the industry, um, <clears throat> as it relates to, um, I think the uh, the other aspect you uh, you were addressing was um, um, let's see. So I got a follow up for we'll you. Come back to it. <laughs> From an airline. Hey, Jonathan. So, you say if you don't like the service, just deinstall it, right? Yeah, and install something, something else. Um, you're bolting an antenna to an aircraft. It costs money. It costs money for the labor. You're installing WAPs. It costs money to install all this stuff. So, say you didn't like the service and you wanted to transition to another supplier. Can that be reused? That antenna, say you wanted to go back to a geo and you wanted to use the equipment that was installed for Starlink, right? And you wanted to use it for that solution. Is that possible? To use a Starlink antenna for another, um, yeah. another operator? No, yeah. it's not possible. Okay. So that's millions of dollars. That's for it's an investment. SLAs are important. Yeah, understood. Quality and, and, of service is yeah. important. Yeah, and I think the, the other aspect you were addressing were, um, you know, the SLAs, um, and you know that's why 
we focus on the enterprise class services, which include aviation, and we understand you know, whether it's SLA to the plane, SLA to the passengers. Um, you know, I, don't, I mean, we could show, do a, a show of hands with, uh, with airlines um, here, but I, we believe that for airlines, SLAs are, are very important because in the end, you know, the most important for uh, the airline is the satisfaction of the passenger, and this is how the airline can guarantee that the passenger will get what they expect. Okay. Um, so, so back when you were asked about the future of uh, Geo versus Leo in, I think it was 2030, when we were looking for the percentages, um, obviously there was a, uh, the, the three of you are naturally very bullish on, on Leo. And I think Philippe mentioned a number of times that part, part of the reason that, that you feel like it's going to be successful was the uh, ability to offer free-to-use for passengers um, as a business model for, for the airlines. And I just wonder why you felt that it was more achievable uh, with a Leo over a Geo Constellation, because surely that just comes down to cost of the data, right? Philippe, I think that was pretty yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there are a couple aspects to, um, you know, to free service to the passenger. Uh, the first one is more an aspect of performance. Um, and then, you know, once you open a free service, the take-up rates are expected to, you know, increase dramatically. So now if you look at really, you know, what an, uh, an aircraft gets today, and I'm not talking about you know, peak speed, but what is really dedicated per aircraft on the network. Yeah, typically today in you know, the single digits, maybe the, the most and more ambitious ones are you know, a couple tens of, uh, uh, of megabits. Uh, when you make the calculation with you know, higher take-up rates, and then uh, you know, the expect, combined with the expectations that um, consumers, you know, passengers don't want to be limited in applications. They don't want to be limited in their streaming. They don't want to be limited in VPN. They don't want to be limited, you know, they come back from vacation, they want to upload uh, videos from their vacation, right? So when you take all of that into account and you calculate how much really is going to be needed in the future with a model like that uh, for um, per aircraft, um, you're easily talking about you know, over 100 megabits per second, depending on, on the size of the aircraft. And you know, even when you think about it, if you share that among 350 uh, passengers, it, it's not even you know, a, a huge number. Right? So um, that's where online, look, there is, there is a trend at this point that is, you know, that I think we heard it um, several times in the last couple of days, there is a trend going to the free service. So um, the first part is really from a performance standpoint to be able to enable it, both in terms of download and in terms of upload. Uh, and you know, guaranteeing 100 megabits and picking at hundreds of megabits on a constellation like telesatellite speed uh, is part of the, the performance. That's the first part. Um, now is you know the price per megabit going to get to the level that you have on fiber? No. Uh, so yeah, the, it doesn't solve totally the equation of 
uh, of the model, uh, but certainly um, you know, a solution that is uh, competitive and affordable will, will help get there. But, but why is that intrinsic to a Leo constellation over a Geo constellation? Because yeah, we've been talking about Geos all week, and uh, and we know that their the capacity is growing there as well. So having the capacity and the available bandwidth is, I don't think, is going to be a problem for the Geos either. Um, uh, there's some argument to some applications being better on Leo, uh, which I get. But I, for the average user. They are fairly limited at, at this time, um, and, and I appreciate what you were saying, Jonathan, that we are coming towards a bit of a parity with upload and download um, requirements. But as it stands at the moment, that um, those application limits are not enormous. Um, I so I just wonder why it was intrinsic to Leo's to make to make that business case work. In terms of performance, in in, in the end, there is you know the performance to the aircraft. And you know, Leos are much closer, so it is you know a step easier uh, to get the high performance on the aircraft with the same type of you know ESA antenna, for instance. Um, the second is just the capacity of the network. I mean, can you imagine you know 100, 150 megabits per plane on geo? How many geo satellites uh, do you need, right? So. When you see that, I think you know several constellations are bringing more than the the entire geo arc in terms of you know terabits per second, um, and then you know for our constellation we designed it also with aviation in mind, where you have the big hotspots, right? So um, <clears throat> we have the ability to focus. Um, to focus beams from several satellites over an area like an airport and to bring you know, tens of gigabits per second around the airport. This is you know, something that's very difficult to achieve over, you, know, you cannot reach the same amount of capacity over geos unless you start you know, pulling a lot of big geos all over the place. Um, and you know, with the amount of capacity that the, the LEOs are bringing, um, you know, just, just making the calculation in terms of you know, what's the cost per, uh, per bit uh, that can really be usable on the constellation and know that it can be done uh, in a pretty cost-effective way. Okay, let, let's go on to, we've only got a few minutes left, let's try and get through as Thanks. many questions as we can. Question for Jonathan. Um, so one of the challenges with LEOs is that it requires inter-satellite links to provide coverage over water. So I'm curious, does Starlink currently have working ISLs? Yeah, we're currently pushing data over, over ISLs. Thanks. So this is a question for each one of you. Um, we have all this capacity, and I agree with you, Leo is a future. Um, Thank you. But uh, <laughs> the question is, you have all this capacity, but what is your capability, your modem? And when you have 300 passengers on your aircraft, you have to design for a worst case scenario. So that modem is going to be key. Uh, can you comment on that? The question was on the modem? Was that on the modem, the question? Yeah, the capability. OK. How much bandwidth can you push? 
Okay. Much so I, I think modem technology, just like ESA technology, is advancing quite considerably, and will easily be able to to handle you know every passenger on board the aircraft having a, a connection, um, you know, with with the future technologies of modems. I, I don't think that'll be the choke point, as we referred to yesterday, and some of the challenges um, with the network architecture. That's not going to be an issue for for our designed constellation modem and antenna. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've done, you know, calculation with um, some big airlines, you know, putting some very strict number, uh, looking at those scenarios, and uh, the requirements are well beyond, well below what the, uh, the link to the aircraft can handle. Uh, and when you combine, you know, all the, the aircrafts around hotspots, uh, it is well below, the whole capacity combined is well below uh, the, the amount of capacity we can concentrate around, let's say, uh, one of your airport hubs. Support dual modems? Dual modems? Dual modems, yeah. Oops, sorry. Yeah, I think from our perspective, we spoke to before, right, we're, we're fully supportive of a, of a hybrid network, which would require inherently a dual modem architecture. So certainly from our perspective, we are. So um, yeah, this is actually kind of a tough question to ask. So um, it, it sounds like you guys are talking about more than 100 megabits per second per plane. But I mean, it's one thing to do it for one plane, but you know, there's going to be a lot of planes flying. So we're, we're talking about systems that could support hundreds of megabits per second for virtually all the planes. Is that like, like just say over the U.S. Is that what is that 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 that's the expectation for all your systems? Certainly, that's a fraction of the, of the total capacity that we have. So we're, Ups, we're, yeah, so, yeah. So, so Starlink, you're saying you got so much capacity, yeah, no problem, and, and OneWeb, and, and Telesat, Leo. So, so I think, you know, it's, it's, if we landed every aircraft in the U.S., it would be a good problem to have, right? Um, launch more satellites. Right, we'll just launch, launch more satellites. But I think the, the concept comes back to, you know, we're, we're mass okay. manufacturing satellites in a fraction of the time of the geos, right? Okay. We have the capability to, to launch those a lot sooner, a lot quicker, okay. and for a lot lower cost. So I think the ability to get capacity in, in space is, is inherently a lot easier than it is with geo. Okay, okay. so you would thicken your constellation if that, if that became your Absolutely. problem. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing the same thing with, uh, with, with Telesat Leo. So, so um, just, so, uh, you, you know, that, that, I mean, that is, I'm not sure, it'd be interesting to look at what GEO can do, you know, given that scenario compared to LEO, but, and green latency is a lot lower. So, I mean, I would expect in the long run that the solution's gonna to go to whoever can deliver, you know, that, that type of service at the lowest cost per megabit. And do you think that you're gonna be significantly cheaper than, than GEO or about the same or maybe more expensive? Is it, you know, is anybody, you know, any thoughts about that? I think it goes back to my earlier answer is that, you know, the ability to, to mass manufacture satellites and, and get them into orbit a lot sooner and the advances that have been made with respect to that allow a, a continual decline in, in the price per bit, right? So I'll throw it over to, to, to Philippe to can, answer. But can I just add something there? The airlines have been talking like cost, cost, cost. They've all come out of a pandemic and one of the things they're saying is, we need more flexibility from our providers in terms of the actual cost. It's not just 
about capability it's also so maybe you can address the actual cost s side of that because that's a big deal for these for these airline customers yeah. I, I can start off I mean I think from my perspective I look at you know we talked about you know we have a number of cached or stored content on the aircraft today which they're paying you know considerable amounts for DRM content. I think, you know, there may be an opportunity to decrease the amount of titles that they have on that perspective and move some of that potential cost over to um, IFC, right? And so allow a customer to have the ability to choose what they want to watch rather than this stored cached content, right? There's always going to be that mixture of both, right? We're always going to have stored content on the aircraft, but perhaps there's a model that shifts some of that from one bucket to the other and allows that capability to be unlocked, that the customer can choose their streaming service of choice um, and their title of choice um, that they've already subscribed to. Jonathan, on the cost side? Um, I mean, it's, it's it, going to be significantly, I mean, you, let's take Hawaiian Airlines as an example. That's a deal that, that, that you've signed. That's one already in the bag. Is one of the, the main factors that they signed that deal that it was significantly cheaper to run their IFC system on a LEO network compared to alternatives? How, how important is that is you know, can we, t you know, t let's talk specifically on the cost side. So it's, it's, more, than, it's more than cost. Like, so, so I think if you look at, um, it's the total cost of ownership, not cost, cost per bit. So, it, and, and also what is the service that they're providing? When, when you look at, um, and every airline's unique, Hawaiian Airlines based out of Hawaii going uh, over transoceanic, um, their fleet type, um, the, the ability to have a extremely lightweight, low drag antenna um, uh, plays a part into it. Also, specifically, geos don't can't support polar. You just can't see uh, the look angle from up there. Uh, they don't advertise it as much, but the service drops out on, on a considerable portion of, of most transoceanic flights that are going over the poles. Um, and that, that is a huge issue for, for a lot of providers that want to provide an exceptional service from gate to gate. That's just, it's, again, back to physics, it's physically impossible with a geo uh, equatorial um, satellite constellation. Um, so, it, I mean, from, from, a, from a competitive standpoint, um, I mean, I think I've brought this up a few times, you know, be, being vertically integrated um, allows us to be more cost competitive. Um, it's just simple. You're not, you're not stacking profits of, of multiple companies uh, and complexity of multiple companies, and ultimately that provides a, a lower cost and we think a, a better solution to the end user. Jonathan, you touched on something there, uh, uh -oh. antenna drag, and somebody asked a question earlier uh, through the app. They're just curious if there's a difference uh, in antenna drag between Leo and Geo antennas, and if that could positively impact um, uh, the efficiency of the plane. 100. percent There's there's a huge difference. Could you expand on that? Or? I don't have the data. I'm happy to sh share it with you. I mean, okay. the, the, the antenna size, I mean, I don't, I don't know about Leo versus Geo. I can just say our, our antenna versus um, legacy designs, um, whether those are also being used for Leo or, or Geo. Um, okay. That's been, that's been a, a good argument for us as far as the overall uh, total cost of ownership. Great. Thank you. Yeah. We have a question here. This might be the last one. Yeah. Hi, Jonathan. So earlier, uh, in, earlier in the discussion, you'd mentioned that the future for the aviation sector or interim future is hybrid Leo and Geo. Why should an airline go for 
just one solution. So is Starlink and SpaceX developing uh, antennas and terminals that work with both, or you're working only with one? So, so I think the, the lead into your question, I didn't quite hear, which was, it's given that the future is Leo geocompatible. I'm not, I, I guess I wouldn't necessarily, uh, I, I don't know what the future holds. Um, um, there, ultimately, what is required to have the best passenger experience, right? I'm not yet convinced that you need a hybrid solution to have the best passenger experience. Not saying that, that I'm right. We certainly could, could um, look into it. And we have great relationships with the geo operators. Um, I spent the, most of my career working with the geo operators. And we spent some time as we embarked on this, it's like, how do we work together? Um, it's just extremely challenging to find a solution that, that works. Um, and I'm not talking about technically. I'm talking about um, either programmatic, programmatically or, or, or just cost-wise. Like, wh why do you need both? It adds a lot of complexity. And, and if ultimately you can get a really great product to your customer and avoid the complexity, that's a good place to start. Yeah, I would look at you know two different aspects. Um, you know, for us in uh, in the short term, it's good for the airlines. We think to have the option to you know start with a solution on the GOK bridge from you know for instance, and then be able to migrate to Lightspeed. So in that scenario, you you know the the contracts support both, right? Um, but as Jonathan was saying, you know, at the end of the day. Once you are on the, on the Leo constellation, uh, as long as the Leo constellation, which you know at, at least in our case we uh, uh, we know can support enough capacity, uh, you know, especially around the the airport hubs, uh, why would you need both? Right? I mean, one of the big advantage with Leo constellation that uh, has enough capacity and performance to support the entire journey is that you know, you're on the tarmac, you are in the air over the ocean, you, know, you get to a busy airport, and you always get the same user experience. Consistency of user experience is very important. Um, you know, if you arrive at, uh, at your uh, arrival airport, and now you switch to geo, and oh, now you start you know, having congestion or you, know, you have the delays on the, uh, due to the latency, what is the passenger going to remember? Is he going to remember that you know, the whole flight he had a great user experience or that last experience because he was frustrated trying to do you know, some, some work or some, uh, you know, some uh, booking just before he landed? That's what he will remember. So I think the consistency of experience throughout the journey, the consistency of quality of experience is, is very important uh, and you know, pushes towards just staying on, uh, on Leo. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. Thank you.